listening to Resist and Restore, a podcast from the Circle of Hope Pastors where we're extending the table of our dialogue. I'm Johnny Rashid. I'm Rachel Sensenig. I'm Julie Hoke. And I'm Ben White. Happy New Year, fam. Here we are, 2021. 2020 lost. <laughs> 2020 lost? Yeah. What's that Didn't mean? Didn't win. Kind of feels like I'm still in 2020. I'm not. I'm not admitting defeat. We're still here. The new year always brings up new things and new opportunities. So I hope that we can embrace them, and I hope that you're finding ways, even in this pandemic, to start new things now. We're going to get into that later this show because we're talking about baptism. The baptism's a great way to start something new too. Um, But let's start with some talkback, shall we? Ben, one of our listeners emailed us, and you're, let's talk about that. Yes, the subject line is confession, so we immediately read it all for its juice. Um, but I love confession juice. <laughs> Actually, there was no uh, personal confession. Our, our listener was 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 just reflecting on our conversations about guilt and shame, which we've been talking about in this talkback section. We kind of keep this conversation going. Um, but he was reflecting on the kind of I guess kind of two movie scenes. Imagine two movie scenes. You've got the 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 kind of stereotypical Catholic priest behind a screen in the dark, kind of callously uh, receiving someone's confession. You know, like in The Godfather or something like that. That's the you know, and it seems like well, I mean, we have to do something, but that doesn't seem like what it is. This kind of uh, you know, often gets painted as fake, though it is not universally that. Uh, many people find great meaning in that ritual. Um, so that's one kind of scene. But then the other scene, right in time for Christmas, is Ebenezer Scrooge. And the here I'll read from what he wrote. Ebenezer is shown a mirror which reflects at best his wounds, at worst his depravity, and the murder-strewn path which leads to his huge empty home. The spiritual mediums are not passive. That's the key. That's the difference that he's making. The spiritual mediums are not passive, but confrontational. He is brought to a reckoning that still leaves him with choices of whether he will change at all, and if so, how he will initiate those changes. In this way, Scrooge's reckoning is what equips him with the spiritual tools he needs to make decisions out of his awakened depth of understanding. His redemption story is communal, and he pours himself out into the streets of his city, beginning with those who have suffered him most acutely. Suffered from him, I'd say, most acutely. I think the story is so well loved because it brings what is best in our Western tradition to bear on the subject of what we can do with our suffering and shame. That is one of the better readings of uh, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, I'd say. (laughs) So with that big paragraph, I mean, he's kind of hitting it out of the park here, but what do you all want to say back to that? I think the Bible is full of Scrooge stories like this, where people not only confess their sin, but they repent, they turn things around, things get better. You know, Zacchaeus is the is a classic example, right? Where this tax collector defrauded a lot of people, but then after meeting Jesus, changed and made right what he made wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the difference that Chris is drawing out here. I think he's, he, he's um, making a distinction between confession 
as an, just like a ritualistic act or something <laughs> and repentance, um, not just naming what we've done wrong, but like turning around and actually altering our course. And Ebenezer does that. I think it's notable. He doesn't, Chris isn't talking about this specifically, but it got me thinking about the story because it's been a while since I've seen it. Ebenezer really changes his course because he, he gets afraid of what his life will be, will look like if he continues in the way that he's going, mm. you know, like he's, 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 he's like miserly, you know, like he's, he's, uh, isn't he a money lender or something? <laughs> and, and he's just collecting money. He, he thinks that's what's going to make him happy. And then he realizes that it's, it's essentially leading to loneliness and death. Mm-hmm. It won't yeah. give him the happiness he wants. And uh, contrary to uh, cartoon reality, and Scrooge's namesake, Scrooge McDuck, you cannot even swim in money. <laughs> Scrooge McDuck. Ducktails. I know. What they- <laughs> yes, and it, it made me think of the brave lovers in our church who um, who do this kind of confrontational work with each other. And, you know, and, and hopefully there's enough trust there in the relationship, but when it's there, you know, people say, Hey, you know, what's, what's up with that? What are you doing? What's going on? And often that that's the opportunity, that's the confrontational opportunity to change, to work something new out with God and, and each other. And I'm grateful for that. The possibility of transformation, I think in this moment is so important to talk about because condemnation is so easy to um, receive and kind of internalize. And so people are resistant to even feedback about their behavior and the consequences of it. And sometimes the feedback comes back in a way that's harsh, and so they feel like they're being canceled. But there is an opportunity for transformation after someone talks to you about the wrongdoing that they've experienced, the pain that they have. You know, just the other day, John Roderick, who's a musician, was on Twitter, and he he talked about this story where he uh, he made it, it was a joke, right? And he said, my nine-year-old daughter was hungry, and I gave her a can of beans, but she didn't know how to use a can opener, and so I let her struggle with the can opener for six hours, and then she figured out how to do it. And of course, on Twitter, he got canceled, because this is a horrible thing to do to somebody, right? And then, of course, they researched him, and they found out that he was like, in the past, he had like anti-Semitic jokes and terrible things happened to him. And then he got canceled. Be- and they called him Bean Dad. He got canceled and then he deleted his account. But then he wrote a heartfelt apology, acknowledging the bad taste in his joke and even in his past. And actually copped to what he did without being defensive. And I, I, I'll just speak for myself. I accepted the apology. You know, it's possible to make things right after you've made them wrong. And I think that's the, that's the, that's the beauty of Jesus's redemption. Yeah. You can, you're, you're free to just, hey, admit, it didn't, I didn't do the right thing. I messed up and nothing's going to happen to me because of God's grace. And I can actually try to transform after that. Yeah. And what, what's this guy's name again? I'm sorry. John Roderick. Bean John Dad. Roderick. So like, my question is, how did he get there? 
how did he get to the heartfelt apology without defensiveness? Is he just that good of a guy? Because everyone else, when they do their uh, their Twitter apology, you know, it's just you know, people are like, whatever, we're we're done with you. Not you know, that doesn't happen all the time. And I think what we have also with Jesus is the opportunity to be those ghosts. To mm-hmm. you know, the 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 Christmas Carol is mostly the drama of Scrooge waking up. And we need to be waker uppers. We need to ha- to have all of the stops to help awaken people and and develop that skill. Like Rachel, you said, hopefully there's trust, and we build a trust system in our community all the time. Uh, that's that's like our whole idea for how we're going to communicate the gospel is we're actually going to be a place where people feel safe and trusted. And of course, that that is limited in its success, but it's uh, certainly a miracle often. And um. But, but putting our mind to creating that trust, flexing those muscles of hope for how am I going to get around, you know, the closed eyes of, of whatever Scrooge it is that I need to be confrontational with. What, what drama can I bring? I think all the ghosts in his story are, um, you know, excellent prophets and they, they know exactly what to show him about his life and his future and his, and what's happening now. They, they, they could have shown him anything, but they showed him the right thing that led to that transformation, that created a bean dad apology, you know? And, well, they showed him himself, mm-hmm. you know? They, he, 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 he was kind of um, ignoring the person that he is or was, and they showed him himself. And the way Chris words it, he says, his reckoning is what equips him with the spiritual tools he needs to make decisions out of his awakened depth of understanding. And I think that that awakened depth of understanding um, can happen in the context of the love of Jesus among us and the trust that we're working to build all the time and um, the ability then to turn around. Amen. Thanks for talking back, y'all. Send us an email at, cir- at resist and restore podcast at circleofhope.net. We'd love to keep hearing from you. Thanks so much for listening to our show. I love connecting with you, and I want to offer you more opportunities to connect with us. The first thing you can do is subscribe to this podcast if you have it on whatever platform it is you listen Give us a high review on that platform and you can help other people listen to us. And also share money with us. Go to circleofhope.net slash sharing to contribute to our common fund to keep this podcast and everything else that we do going. A couple more things. We just started a new season at our at-home Sunday meetings called Slightly Better Than Hanging On is Pretty Good. Barely Hanging On. We're trying Slightly Better Than Barely Hanging On. It's pretty good. <laughs> Sorry, Johnny. We we like adverbs. Um, but that's not the point of the season. The point of the season is to connect in this disconnected time, to, to reach out in a way and, and make a human connection in a time where they are so rare. And so we're trying to do that with fun polls and missions that people go on and stories of uh, those kind of connections, and also talking about different prayer styles that help us connect with God and one another. So be sure to tune in five at circleofhope.net slash online meeting to join our at-home meeting. And you can also go to our YouTube channel, Circle of Hope. It's, it's youtube.com slash circle of hope. 
and you can watch previous Sunday meetings, but also pay attention to something we call Worship Wednesdays, where you get a new song every week that one of our artists performs um, or leads you to worship, I should say. And then also on Thursdays, the pastors will offer you a message because Sundays aren't enough. So all of that's on our YouTube, youtube.com slash circle of hope and circle of hope dot net slash online meeting is where you can join us at five on Sundays. Thanks again. Oh yeah. And one more thing, talk back to us at resist and restore podcast at circle of hope.net. If you email us, we'll definitely get you on the show and we want to, we want to hear from you. We want to move into our next section and talk about epiphany because that's what we're celebrating today. It, It normally happens on January 6th. And this is one of my favorite church traditions because it, it kind of mashes up two stories in the Bible. The, the one story is the story of the Magi um, following the star, getting these, these signs in the sky, leaving their homeland and following the star to find the baby Jesus. And the, the, the second story that is traditionally celebrated in the Epiphany tradition is of Jesus's baptism. And so they're both um, about the man. The Epiphany is the manifestation of God here in the world. It's, it's God coming to us as us. It's the, it's the incarnation and it's God naming who Jesus is. And so there, it's just chock full of meaning. There's so many ways we could we could take this discussion. Um, it could be about finding being far off like the Magi and being called to Jesus. It could be about um, identifying with Jesus Himself in baptism and, and hearing that word from the Father that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Um, that's the kind of that's the kind of belonging that we um, find ourselves in baptism. So why don't why don't we start there? Um, you guys have all been baptized here, Ben. Ben, would you tell us about your baptism? Yeah, baptism for me is like the moment that I I kind I kind of claim as the the day I became a Christian because I grew up in the church. And uh, saw many people get baptized in my parents' pool or jacuzzi in Southern California. Some of my earliest memories are in my backyard, uh, people getting baptized. And I have this very distinct memory of sitting on the, um, the plastic slide as my mom skimmed the pool on a quiet morning. And I, and I asked – I remember the you – know, I was wearing those 80s short shorts. Um, you know what I'm talking about with like the white ribbing, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's all I was wearing. Probably not any underwear either. <laughs> Keep in mind, I'm five years old, so this isn't a sexy picture. Um, and uh, glad you yeah. told us that. <laughs> I mean, you, I, I thought it might be causing people to stumble thinking about me in my short shorts. So I just wanted to, you know, you I, know, I, it could happen. Just, it could happen. You, you know, care. Yeah. care. Uh, so, so, and I, I'm, I, I remember my skin sticking to the to the dry plastic of the slide, and I just asked my mom very casually, "Hey, how do you how do you become a Christian again?" And she just really casually, as she continued to skim, she said, you just ask Jesus into your heart and he'll live there. And um, and I just closed my eyes real hard and said, Jesus, come into my heart. And, you know, that was like the that was like the beginning of of my faith journey in a, in a, in a family of faith. My dad's a pastor. My mom's a 
great woman of faith and they demonstrated that in community my whole life, but I had to grow into it myself. And I was so grateful for the opportunity of baptism to claim that for myself, but because by the time I was 18, I was ready to make a decision to follow Jesus. Um, and I think Jesus actually came into my heart when I was five, you know, but the, the, the agency necessary to make a life around the way of Jesus didn't come to me, I don't think, until I was 18. And, and I really needed that because a lot of, I mean, even after I was baptized, the, um, uh, that, that nagging feeling that I'm just a automaton doing what I'm supposed to do. My parents are Christians. I wouldn't be a Christian if my parents weren't. And like, that's both true and not true at the same time. And it, I think it tears up a lot of kids that grow up in the church, tears them up. Um, and that kind of, you know, this demand for authenticity or something like that, I was able to kind of shoehorn baptism into that. I did need that identity formation when I was an 18 year old man in the Western culture. And it was, and baptism was a really important ritual for me to, to claim as the beginning of my faith journey. And so we gathered at Ocean City, New Jersey, and um, there were probably 50 people there gathered around in the waves and up many people up into their knees. The waves were coming in and me and my dad walked a bit further out so that I could kneel and into three consecutive breakers, uh, bow into them in submission to Jesus and his way in worship of Jesus. Um, maybe in concert with those magi um, and uh, got to enter into this, this way of Jesus on, on my own. And it didn't make a, it, it was a marked change um, that, that was, you know, I don't, I don't have time to tell my whole story, but what came before, what came after that was a literal watershed moment. Mm. Ben, your story is such a good um, picture of why we do adult baptism uh, rather than infant baptism, which is a very common tradition in many um, denominations, and and you you lived it and told it right there that we we want people to have the opportunity to choose the way of Jesus as adults, you know, independent of their childhood or their family faith or their tradition they were born into, um, because a walk with Jesus really does need that um, it needs to be a uh, a personally embodied journey, not just like an institutional um, thing or a something that our family um, can do for us even. We, we kind of need to choose it ourselves to make Jesus as Lord and and baptism as an adult is an opportunity to to say that and publicly express it. Mm-hmm. And every ritual has that opportunity. It's a bad opportunity, but to become something that like the tradition does for us or the, or the parents do for us, or you could even do it for yourself and still kind of be going through the motions, you know, and that's not necessarily terrible. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't a completely free formed, uh, you know, autonomous person, completely free from influence or something like that. That's not what we're going for. Um, and, uh, but I did have enough will to have a will to submit. Yeah, your intention in the moment. Yeah, that 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 
Jesus met you in that intention. And you, like you said, something changed for you. Johnny, you were really an adult when you got baptized. What was that like for you? Well, the first time I got baptized, I had these pictures of me. I was this little, uh, I was kind of like Tiny Tim, by the way. Uh, tiny, tiny baby. I was bald like I am now. And Assis Berti, which means Pastor Berti, that's the Arabic. Um, Assis is, is, was, the, is the pastor? Okay, cool. Yeah. he was my, He's my uncle, in fact. And he was the pastor for the church that we visited, the Arabic-speaking church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We lived in central PA, but we'd drive an hour to attend this family church. And, and there was a, there's a, there's a, a photo of me that I remember uh, distinctly of me getting baptized. Now, obviously, I don't remember the experience of it, but I remember the, the seriousness around it and the momentous occasion of it. Um, and it is really weird to sprinkle water on a baby, you know, like that whole thing is, is unusual to me. And, but it mattered to the Presbyterian church that I was a part of. Um, but that baptism came into its fullness in my adulthood at the YMCA on Broad and Master, which is not far from where I live now in North Philadelphia. We went in, and I remember, I like uh, chlorine smelling baptisms, you know, because then you can associate every time you smell chlorine with baptism and, that, and, 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 and a new start. And you come out of the water kind of new with different chemicals on you than before. So that's, that's interesting. Um, and I remember there was a lifeguard there. They let us do this at the Y. And there was a lifeguard there making sure that Joshua, who was my pastor at the time, I guess they didn't, I didn't, he didn't drown me or I didn't drown. And I, I, I wanted to talk to the, I think I actually did go up to the lifeguard and try to get her in on the baptism too, <laughs> because we always want to open it up to the next person. But what, what I remember about that baptism, um, and, 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 and meaning was added to it afterwards, um, not only was I declaring Jesus as Lord in front of, in public as an adult with something that I believed, um, Joshua baptizing me in a sense, as it, it, as it eventually came to be for, for us in our relationship, was kind of like a, a passing of the mantle. There was, there was some transition in me becoming who I am now, even in that moment, um, and a decision to say yes with God. That, that this is my decision. I'm going to move forward as your servant. Joshua was my pastor, and then I became a pastor. Um, and so I don't know if I experienced that in the moment, but there was a, there, that as, as, I, as I think back on it, it kind of does feel like um, this is really grandiose, but Elijah and Elisha moving on, passing on, getting, getting that intimate relationship to start something new. So that's my memory. Mm. You're pretty grand. Yeah, you are, Johnny. That's rich. Yeah, but those guys are pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, though. I I was I was baptized as a young person um, in my parents' church, and it had meaning for me at the time. So I didn't get rebaptized later as an adult. Um, specifically when I um, made a covenant with Circle of Hope. But looking back now, I can see how um, the meaning that it had for me then and the meaning that it has for me now as a, as a 
as a ritual of our community has, has deepened and expanded so much. Um, but I was baptized in like a baptismal, like up, up behind the pulpit in the front of the sanctuary, uh, wearing a white robe. I remember Oh, you wore a white robe. I remember the white robe sticking to me, you know, dripping with water as I made my way. It was very cold. I was very cold making my way back. Um, wait, they didn't heat the water. I mean, they got a baptismal and they don't heat the water. I don't actually remember what the water felt like. I remember being cold Uh, afterwards. It's, It's very expensive to heat the water in those things. Probably, yeah, right. It's not a hot tub up there. <laughs> I'm very familiar. I think baptismals are the weirdest, coolest thing. <laughs> well, it is a very visceral experience. You know, that's, that is the idea. This is a very physical demonstration. I remember being behind the microphone talking to the congregation about why I was making this decision. Um, uh, you know, but I, I really love how we're not bound to a building and a, um, a special spot, you know, up behind the pulpit <laughs> as a community of circle of hope. We're out, we're out in the, at the Y or at the ocean or in the Wissahickon, um, in the Cooper, in the Cooper river. Right. We, we can baptize people anywhere, um, as, because it is a public demonstration. And I think, being here physically planted in Philadelphia and and the region with you all has um, deepened this um, the ritual of baptism and the meaning that it has for me and and all those whose baptisms I have been present for and you know um, participated in. Yeah, we baptize people like four times a year, and. Uh... I've missed like six in all 23 years. Ever, yeah. (laughs) And four of them were when I lived in another country, you know? Wow. So I I love baptisms, that moment of people coming out of the water. I think think Jesus, just like the the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus and says, this is my beloved. um, I think that I I get a little heaven-torn-open moment every time I watch a baptism. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm I I. I feel that it's one of those moments. I somebody s- told me once, like the best um, religion is when the the v- invisible becomes visible, and I feel like baptism is that is that kind of moment for me. It's like okay, the the this is what's really real, um, and what's real is that we belong to God and. Jesus is making a new family out of us. Um, I felt that so viscerally one time I had a chance to um, baptize one of my undocumented friends. And it was like, okay, this is, this is really making, this is what's real, that, that our family in Christ is bigger than, than any citizenship that we have to a particular nation. Um, You know, the, this is this is the new family. This is and this Amen. is where we're headed Amen. together. And so, um, I yes, I feel that too in our in our gatherings every quarter when we when we do baptisms. Yeah, and this is this is the new kingdom too. It's a family structure, but it is also a new reign. It's a new uh, power structure as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our original, we, we baptize people as adults because we're, we come from this tradition called Anabaptists, uh, which came mm-hmm. about in the 1500s. And Anabaptist means re-baptizers because everyone got baptized as a baby as a function of their citizenship in the country in which they were born. You know, the, the, the state had been co the, the state had co-opted this function of the church as a means of even like, how do we have a tax role, you know? Because the baptismal role is a government document as well as a church document. Mm-hmm. And so to be rebaptized um, was theologically a threat because it took that um, kind of concentration of power away from the priests. Um, but it, it was also a threat to the state because it took the identity away from the state. The mm-hmm. state does not define you. And if anything has gotten more clear since the 1500s, the state wants to define you and make you who you are and tell you what your identity is and your value is. That's its, that's its primary aim. Even if it's not trying to do that explicitly, that's what the state does. And mm-hmm. we are saying no to that when we let Jesus identify us and we get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's who we are now. Mm-hmm. And uh, Americans really have to play that up because... In this country, as opposed to in the European church, which codified your faith and your citizenship in your baptism, this country doesn't do that. But what Ben's saying is right. It still does something. It still names you it in does a certain it implicitly. way. It, it, the explicit is better because you can say no to that more easily. Yes. Exactly. And so Anabaptists like us have a challenge in the United States because we live under uh, religious freedom. So the, the, the freedom that the Anabaptists wanted from the state is purportedly given to us by the state in the U.S., even though it's fraudulent. And you, and you must, I think you have to resist that and actively say it. So Jesus is Lord, then, isn't a statement of religious freedom. It's a statement of defiance against the state, which uh, grants you the freedom to worship whatever God you want, so long as you first serve the state. So that was a little philosophical, but I you I think you really have to overplay it to understand it in this context because it is so yeah, subtle. Yeah, it's subtle and it's suggestive mm-hmm. too because like no one would say what you just said, Johnny. No one. I, yeah, I, I no agree. one would believe that, but it's it's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And getting in the water with our bodies helps us remember that it's true. I, I love I love the image of Jesus entering our water him, himself. You know, it, it was just so wild that that he got baptized here. You know, he and John didn't want to do it. John was like, "No, this is this is weird. It should be the other way around." But Jesus was intent on on doing this act of obedience and identification with us, getting in the water of of our mess and beauty and and everything we are and um being one with us to call to call us into this kingdom that you guys are talking about so i'm glad to be part of it with you and um let's keep talking section here is spiritual show and tell and um we want to share something that's been nourishing our soul because we we hope that 
Um, it could nourish yours if you're looking for it. Um, or you could write to us and tell us what's nourishing your soul. We'd love to hear that too. Um, pastors, what is nourishing your soul in this uh, new year? Well, last week I broke my back. Mm. Not broke it, broke it, right? <laughs> no, yeah, there are people that actually break their back. No, I like pinched my uh, sciatic nerve, so I had to lie in bed a lot on my vacation. It was all mm-hmm. it was perfect, it's perfectly painful. timed. And I read two novels, Out of the Silent Planet and Paralandra by C.S. Lewis, which are brilliant works. Um, they're about space travel and God, and this kind of strange. Um, bigger than we understand reality of how the cosmos works, which includes um, these sub-gods that are in charge of different planets. Um, and one of the, 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 the sub-god in charge of our planet is Lucifer. Uh, he's, he's the king of the air, um, the ruler of the air. You know, this is biblical kind of stuff. So C.S. Lewis is kind of just making a whole mythology about this. Who is Lucifer? Lucifer, like Satan, um, the, the 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 prince of evil, and so we are our our planet is called Volcandra, which means the silent planet because it's cut off from the rest of the cosmos, like Paralandra, and um, oh, what's Mars called? Um, Malacandra. Okay, I'm going too long, uh, but I have to kind of paint the picture because he's just kind of creating this whole new reality. None of this is true, by the way. It just reveals something about our – I mean, maybe it's true, but it, unlikely. Um, certainly not with these names. This is, C.S. Lewis invented all this stuff to try to get at the the heart, which is what he's beautiful at doing. You know, He's always just inventing these kind of mythological stories that reveal something about our experience as humans in relationship with God. And the images that he comes up with in Paralandra especially – are just so <laughs> amazing. Um, and so he's he's imagining and describing in great detail all of these um, new animals and plants on Paralandra, which is this planet that was populated after Jesus had redeemed the cosmos. And so it's a it's a new Adam and Eve who who are experiencing the perfection of the garden and deciding not to leave it. <laughs> so good. Okay. Finally, I'm getting to my quote. Um, but the, the earth person who goes to Paralander to help with this process uh, and fight the evil one who also ends, ends up there to try to tempt these uh, new Adam and Eve called the, the King and the queen. Um, they, um, they live in this, beautiful place and there are these um big bulbous bubbles that form out of these trees that when you pop them they they splash all over you with this fragrance and it's like uh it's like a uh just like the most exquisite experience that he's ever had this this earth man named ransom who goes there and he and he says perhaps the experience had been so complete that repetition would be vulgarity, like asking to hear the same symphony twice in a day. And that struck me so strongly, especially in the midst of the excess of Christmas and all of the cookies. Um, it just made, it made me ready to um, uh, delight in little bites 
and get spiritual showers <laughs> or even a a shower <laughs> like in my bathroom <laughs> you know just like kind of crawl out of the end of 2020 and start enjoying um the world as it was meant to be enjoyed mm. as as opposed to the vulgarity that it can often slip into and my life is prone to so that that really nourished my soul. I'm sorry that took so long to to kind of paint the picture, but it it required that much context. Seeing people yearn has helped me has nourished my soul. And there's two examples of this. Um, first, I was listening to another podcast, uh, the New York Times Daily, and and listening to how Stacey Abrams was organizing people in Georgia for the runoff elections that just happened. And I, you know, that, that alone is a cool thing and God bless Stacey Abrams, but she figured out how to rally all these folks because her parents were pastors and she read church building books, church growth books. And I thought to myself, I appreciate that the wisdom that the uh, church has collected um, is salient and can continue. She was yearning for something more and found it that way. So that was encouraging to me. And then also, the movie Soul nourished my soul. Now, just I, I have a live blog post about my issues with the movie because I had some. But what it captured was Joe, the, the black middle school teacher who wants to be a jazz pianist and 22, this pre-human entity, what 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 they're what they're struggling with in the movie is yearning for meaning, yearning yearning for essence, wanting something more. I have an answer to that question in the person of Jesus, and I think that that meaning precedes their existence, and they don't have to figure it out during their existence. But their desire for wanting something more, I think, resonates with me, and I think speaks to the whole zeitgeist, the uh, the feeling of the uh, era where people are wanting more, you know. And 22 finds that something more in part in the universal goodness of a slice of New York pizza. And there it was for me. This thing is fundamentally good. Pizza? Pizza's goodness, <laughs> yes. Pizza's goodness precedes its existence. And that's important. Twenty-two. Just you for the record, eat. 22 is a character in the movie as well. Yeah, that's her name. Her name is 22, and she's played by Tina Fey. Um, and the universal meaning that she finds in the pizza gave me hope, too, that it's possible for us to have a universal meaning. And that even though, and I don't think the movie was a philosophical treatise, particularly, I think it was fairly disorganized. But even in this current mood, there is a belief and a desire for something that is universally good. And even if it was pizza in the movie, it could be something else now. So that's where my hope is. It was also Pops to Go. Isn't that what she called it? The lollipops? Oh, I forget oh, yeah. how she said it, but it's... <laughs> and it was the little Pinocchio uh, maple spinner... Uh, seed as well. You have to watch the movie. Oh, yeah. we're, 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 I think we're spoiling, guys. This movie, this movie just came out. Mm-hmm. And Tina Fey is awesome. Too bad. Disney Plus, man. <laughs> on demand. Get it going. You got like one day before spoilers start. Just free reign on spoilers. 
Um, I've been keeping, well, I always keep a journal, but in this new year, I've been writing down little, little bits of goodness, like Johnny's talking about that, that I want to hang on to. And, um, I'm, I'm kind of treasuring them in my heart, like Mary, I don't want to forget them or let them go as my mind would naturally do. Um, so I've been writing them down and they're mostly like people, um, real people in my life, like, um, growing or showing signs of love or growth in, in some particular way. And I'm in there too. Um, but one of them, one of them that I want to mention right now is my brother, Johnny Rashid, who's right here on this podcast, gave me a book for Christmas called fire by night by Melissa Flora Bixler. And, I feel so loved in, in, in even his pick of this book because it, love you, uh, thank you. And I feel it. Cause you know, I love fire so much. My kids make fun of me that I send the fire emoji all the time. <laughs> and, um, it's about the God, the God of the old Testament being so wild and mysterious and uncontrollable which I love, but she, she makes these connections to G to the person of Jesus too. And I, you know, that, that's something I, it's just speaking, I'm such a Jesus fan. I often spend way more time in the gospels with the Jesus stories, especially in our cell groups. Um, So it's been really nourishing my soul to go back and look at these, these bits of the old Testament that, that reveal the person of Jesus too, um, in these, um, kind of big and wild and very personal ways. So thank you for that book, Johnny. It is fire. Of course. Nice. Rach, I didn't know you were going to say anything about the, um, about your journal, but that is what's been nourishing my soul. Um, I keep a journal too, not not really like an account of my days or anything, but uh, just a place where I write. I write down reflections, uh, things people share or say, um, things I'm struggling with, and it helps me pray. Really, it's like a, a tool for prayer. Um, so at the end of this year. Uh, I sat and read through my journal from 2020 and it was wild to see, um, just so many things. I see God revealed in the people in my life, in the bits of goodness recorded there, uh, to see the recurring struggles that I'm in, to reflect back and see God's, um, you know, God's movement in my life, in the life of our church. Uh, so it was nourishing my soul to, to reflect that way. Um, but I'm offering it here, hoping that uh, for any of you who are considering that kind of practice in this new year, to give it a try. I, I have found I've used different kinds of journals different years. And there's a specific uh, style that I like. I've found that I have a preference and I was looking online for a new one because I basically came to the end of this with the end of the year and I could not find um, 
another copy of uh, this journal in the style that I wanted. But I was out running around and I decided to stop and run into Barnes and Noble. And I walked in and headed straight for their section. And right there was the last one of the same brand, of the same yes. style with the spiral bound. But anyway, I was so happy. It was like a gift from God for me to like keep keep at this discipline, um, which helps to form my heart and give me eyes to see and ears to hear what God is doing. So I hope you find new practices in this new year that nourish your soul and feel free to write and tell us about them. We love to hear from you.